everybody gather near the doctors in the house. So then if you're in, the things he can say might even make your day. He might even help your pain go away. The doctor is in the house. The doctor is Platforms that you listen to us. If you like what you hear, please give us a five star rating. It really helps us. This program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. Ladies and gentlemen, again, I welcome you with an attitude of gratitude. And so today we'll be talking about medical news, the coronavirus, and longevity. I want to introduce you to a medical name, Takasuo Cardiomyopathy. Common name, dying from a broken heart. <clears throat> the stress from grief can cause all kinds of potentially deadly changes in the body. From a heart attack that isn't pumping right, an increased production of hormones that can cause plaque in arteries and cause them to rupture. That's why when a friend or loved one has suffered a loss, it's more important than ever to be there for them. And according to some new research, reaching out may not just help the person who is grieving, it can also give you a boost in the longevity department. We all heard plenty about the things we can do to live longer, and we'll hear more about them later in the program. But there's one thing that can help to put more candles on your birthday cake that you may not have heard of, and that's helping others. As a group of international researchers recently discovered, being nice to others apparently can do some very nice things for your own health as well. 
Researchers collected detailed information about five, over 500 people. Their ages were from 70 to 103. They followed them for about 20 years. And they found that the majority of those who helped their grown children or grandchildren lived on average five years longer than those who never did. And they weren't talking about full-time caring either, but simply occasional help or even just emotional support. That longer life perk was also found to be the case when the study participants cared for someone outside their family circle. And also that occurred just on occasion. That group also managed to outlive those who didn't pitch in or give any help. The researchers said that these health benefits likely come from the positive emotions we feel when being helpful. So apparently the good feelings we get from doing good deeds must be pretty darn powerful. While it may be easy to lend a helping hand when we're talking about taking uh, our grandkids to the zoo or out for lunch, it's a little bit different story when we're helping someone during a period of grief. Find it difficult to approach your friends or loved one at, a, at times like that. Experts in grief counseling say that these are the three most important things to remember. Number one, listen more than talk. And do I have to explain that? The lead psychology professor says to have big ears and a small mouth. He advises that you encourage your friend to talk about the person who passed away rather than avoiding the subject. The second thing you can do is don't just offer help, but be specific in how you can help. For example, it may sound good to say, is there anything I can do? But it's better to offer something more exact, such as bring them dinner. Or maybe they need a ride someplace. And number three, <clears throat> remember that the support of a friend is still needed after the initial shock of a loss is over. It's especially so during important dates like anniversaries and birthdays. Our own family and friends are concerned. It's good to know that by offering them a help hand, we also give ourselves a boost in the health and longevity department. And I introduce you to a new diagnosis today. Akatsubo cardiomyopathy. And it's an official name for dying from a broken heart. So ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I want to just uh, finish up some Information like we started last week on the uh, uh, coronavirus. Uh, there's a, a, a reporter named Bill Gertz. He reported in the Washington Times. <clears throat> excuse me. The deadly animal virus epidemic spreading globally may have originated in a Wuhan laboratory linked to China's covert biological weapons program according to an Israeli biological warfare expert. Radio Free Asia this week rebroadcast a local Wuhan television report from 2015 showing China's most advanced virus research laboratory. Guess what's name? The Wuhan Institute of Virology. The laboratory is the only declared site in China capable of working with deadly viruses. And most of the report that I'm reading to you came from Israeli military intelligence. 
it says that they do work on biological weapons as part of a dual civil military research, and it is covert. Of course, China is going to deny it, but again, this report is out there. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's from Washington Times by Bill Hertz. Also, from Investment Watch blog, yesterday, scientists at South China University of Technology concluded, quote, the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Again, that's something you can look up. It's just, we don't really know a lot about the coronavirus because of all the hype given to it by the mainstream media and no, no one asking questions of those that are putting out this information. Now, John Rappaport has been doing a heroic uh, reporting on this virus. Uh, he's got a history of reporting on vaccines and viruses. He says this China coronavirus hype is straight out of the CDC flu playbook. Why does he say that? He says that because pneumonia is the key indicator of this virus. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? You and I both know pneumonia can be caused by microbes, fungi, toxicity, pollution. And guess what? The Chinese authorities are no longer requiring any testing for the coronavirus. Instead, all they are asking is that a CT or CAT scan of the chest be done. If these scans show any signs of pneumonia, you are labeled with the coronavirus. And I told you last week, pneumonia has been a major disease in China long before the emergence of the new coronavirus. People in China have been dying of pneumonia at a rate of about 300,000 per year. Now, guess what? They can be claimed to be part of this deadly epidemic. I don't know. As I say, I don't know the answer, but it sure seems convenient now that they have a label. And I have told you last year, the year before, uh, because I, I read everything of, uh, that Peter Dushi and Martin Malone put out. And guess what? Dr. Dushi is a virologist. He wrote an analysis of the British Medical Journal in 2005. And in that article, he said, according to CDC statistics, influenza and pneumonia took 62,034 lives in 2001. 61,777 of which were attributable to pneumonia and 257 to the flu. And in only 18 cases was the flu virus positively identified. Just think about that for a minute. The CDC combines flu and pneumonia deaths together and they call the category flu. I don't know all the answers, but they're, that's right on the CDC website. My impression is they want to sell doctors on the dangers of the flu and sell more vaccines because they are the major sellers of vaccines. They have over 40 patents on vaccines. So really, 
Dr. Tucci says the CDC couldn't truthfully say that more than 18 people died of the flu in 2001, not 36,000. And it goes on from there. So maybe we have a couple hustles going on. Who knows? Uh, but that's definitely, I just want to bring that to your attention. Uh, you may, you're not going to be hearing that in the news anytime soon. You may be thinking, how do they test for the coronavirus? Well, I did this work. Again, John Rappaport did it. He found that the two prevalent U.S. testing methods are antibody tests and a PCR test. I talked to you last week about the antibody test. It's, it's notorious for cross reactions. What does that mean? It means factors in no way are relevant to a given virus can make the test read positive. In, the, in that case, the patient will be falsely told he has the coronavirus. Traditionally, ladies and gentlemen, an antibody t- test reading positive was taken as a good sign. It meant you had immunity to that particular germ or, and your body had defeated it. But in 1984, the science was turned upside down. A positive test was standardly taken to mean the patient was ill or soon be. Now, let's talk about this PCR test. It requires excellent training and tech- technicians, and any possible number of mistakes could be made during the state this test. You take a tissue sample from a patient, which might contain a tiny virus particle or particles, small to be observed. They blow them up many, many times so it can be seen. However, the test says nothing reliable about how much virus is in the patient's body. Wouldn't you think that would be important? Because millions and millions of replicating viruses in the body are necessary to even begin talking about an illness. A positive PCR test, nevertheless, will be taken to mean the patient has this epidemic pandemic disease. An even deeper issue, where is the prior proof that the PCR testing for that virus actually causes the disease? Again, these are, these are things you're not going to be hear, hearing discussed on the nightly news, the mainstream media, uh, but here you have it. And as of today, still those who have died have been of Asian descent. Okay, well, you can go any place and and check this out. I mean, it's it's all over the place. So let's let's talk a little bit about longevity. Now, before we do that, let me let me go back to my notes. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, if I can find it, uh, about Chick-fil-A. Let's, let's talk about a, uh, a reflux drug that give you the flu. Since we're talking about the flu, you know, uh, it's flu season, right? And that's all we're hearing anymore. It's kill, killing everybody and whatever. Everybody get a flu shot. It's a virus. Well, does anybody ever think that it could be your medication? Because there's research out now that finds a scary new risk between proton pump inhibitors taken for acid reflux. And millions of people are taking them, especially seniors. These are the Prozac, the 
the, the, uh, uh, I don't know the I don't even know the common names anymore because I don't even associate with them. Proton pump inhibitors knock the acid out of your stomach. Pilosic probably is the, is the biggest one. Well, we know they can lead to viral enteritis. And it's baked in how these drugs operate. See, this acid in your stomach actually is there for a reason. It can boil germs alive, including ones that can cause nasty stomach infections. Of course, it uh, kills other germs. We're just talking about stomach flu right now. When all is well, the acid can kill a stomach flu virus, even if you've been exposed, as you often are when you're in a closed setting, especially in the wintertime in the north. But when these acid blockers work and your acid levels drop, the bugs survive. And when they survive, you get sick. Sometimes you can get really sick. It's so bad, the new study finds that taking PPI drugs, proton pump inhibitor drugs, will increase your risk of acute viral form of gastroenteritis. You ready for the drum roll? 80 by 80%. Taking these drugs can increase your risk of an acute viral form of gastroenteritis by a whopping 80%. That's overall. That's all age groups. In seniors, the risk was bigger because these drugs will double your odds of facing the nasty infection. And of course, the biggest jump risk is in wintertime. And other studies I've talked about over the past couple of years have found that PPIs will increase your risk of any number of infections that could strike at any time of the year. And as I said, it could that includes C. diff, which is one of the worst of all. And that has been turning into one of our nation's top super threats. study I found says that PPIs increase the risk of C. diff by 60%. Why are we spending more time on stuff like this? So a little extra acid, a little reflux is not as bad as deadly diarrhea. DD for deadly diarrhea instead of Dunkin' Donuts. And we've talked about deglycerolate licorice as DGL to, to ward off your stomach. And digestive enzymes, Dr. Wong's Zyme medicines. And, of course, the microbiome. Keep your microbiome healthy. Okay, so, you know, you're not going to see the PPIs. You're not going to see that on television by the cable man. Okay? All right. I think I've mentioned this village before, but there's in this village who live longer than anywhere else on the earth. Okay. That's where it is, ladies and gentlemen. Achiroli is the town, and it is in southwest Italy. It is home to an extraordinarily high number of centenarians. More than one in ten of the population of 700 is over 100 years old. A lot of people are studying this little hamlet right now. So after spending six months in the area, researchers from Rosapienza University and San Diego School of Medicine found that elderly people in the region have unusually good blood circulation for their age. 
How about that? The research team analyzed blood samples from more than 80 residents and discovered extraordinarily low levels of adrenomegalin. That's a hormone that widens your blood vessels. It's low. The levels of adrenomegalin were similar to those you would normally find in people in their 20s and 30s. And that's why I, I tell you about blood tests. You don't want your blood test to be normal. You don't want your doctor to say, well, yeah, that's normal for you. You're 70 years old. That's what normal people have. No, you want your, your blood work to be optimal. And you want your blood work to be at levels of when you're 20 and 30. So high levels of adrenal medicine cause your blood vessels to contract and cause circulatory problems. And as I say, they found <clears throat> reduced quantities of this in the subjects. And they think it's related to diet and exercise. People at Chiroli tend to eat locally caught fish, home-reared rabbits, chickens, as well as olive oil and homegrown vegetables and fruit. Now, not proven, but the study also knows that locals eat uh, all rosemary, which is thought to improve brain, brain function, and local varieties of the herb are going to be studied more broadly. But, you know, that wasn't the main part of this uh, study. Okay, they just, just found that, uh, rosemary to be part of the diet. They found that these people don't have the sort of chronic diseases we see in the United States, like heart disease and obesity. They don't suffer from cataracts. You know, most people in the United States, if you're 80, you have cataracts. They saw none in this little hamlet. Another thing I have to bring up, because it's in the report, quote, sexual activity among the elderly appears to be rampant, unquote. Quote, maybe living long has something to do with that. It's probably the good air and the why the verb, the joy of living. So, and down live that way, and they're pretty healthy. Let me just diverge a second, if you don't mind. Let me play a quick uh, track from uh, one of the TED Talks about longevity, because it's going to come up as we keep talking. You know, everybody's talking about vitamins and minerals and all the things you can and can't do to live longer. I already told you one thing, and that's to be empathetic with your friends and uh, be there when when they need need them. You'll not only uh, get the benefit; they'll not only get benefit from you you being there, but you'll get the benefit of living longer. But just just, just have a listen to this uh, two minute talk. So, what does it take to live to hundred or beyond? As you will see, the answer is not what we expect. Julianne Holt Lundstedt is a researcher at Brigham Young University, and she addressed this very question in a series of studies of tens of thousands of middle-aged people, and she looked at every aspect of their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise, their marital status, how often they went to the doctor, whether they smoked or drank, etc. She recorded all of this, and then she and her colleagues sat tight and waited for seven years to see who would still be breathing. And of the people left standing, what reduced their chances of dying the most? That was her question. So let's now look at her data in summary, going from the least powerful predictor to the strongest. 
Whether you're lean or overweight, you can stop feeling guilty about this because it's only in third place. How much exercise you get is next, still only a moderate predictor. Does anybody here know that having a flu vaccine protects you more than doing exercise? And getting towards the top predictors are two features of your social life. First, your close relationships. These are the people that you can call on for a loan if you need money suddenly, who will call the doctor if you're not feeling well, or who will take you to the hospital, or who will sit with you if you're having an existential crisis, if you're in despair. That, those people, that little clutch of people are a strong predictor if you have them of how long you'll live. And then something that surprised me, something that's called social integration. This means how much you interact with people as you move through your day. How many people do you talk to? And these mean both your weak and your strong bonds. So not just the people you're really close to who mean a lot to you, but like, do you talk to the guy who every day makes you your coffee? Um, do you talk to the postman? Do you talk to the woman who walks by your house every day with her dog? Do you play bridge or poker or have a book club? Those interactions are one of the strongest predictors of how long you live. So isn't that interesting? An attitude of gratitude and socialization is one of the best things you can do to live a longer life. And remember, if you've listened to this program for a while, you know that Ronald Jaffe from the NIH, he said that genetic makeup only accounts for 10%. That epigenetics accounts for 90%. What epigenetics? That's how you influence your lifestyle. So lifestyle has a lot to do with longevity. And you're going to read a lot of things about, you know, when your mother gave birth and whatever, but this is the one that comes out in every study, socialization, being around people and having an attitude of gratitude. And the people that live to be 100 or more, they don't, they don't have the usual uh, pattern of a healthy lifestyle, like not smoking, not drinking, plenty of exercise, a well-balanced diet. They're a class of their own. And data shows that 37% of them are overweight. 8% are obese. 37% were smokers for an average of 31 years. 44% report only moderate exercise. And 20% say never exercise at all. Despite this, centenarians as a population have 60% lower rates of heart disease, stroke, and high blood pressure. Depression and other psychiatric illnesses are almost non-existent. You must make healthy lifestyle choices. And every study that I talked to you about today talks about a diet similar to the Mediterranean diet. One, of, one researcher said, today's changes in lifestyle do, in fact, contribute to whether someone dies at age 85 or before age 75. But in order to reach 100, you need a special makeup. And he feels he, he doesn't know why these people age differently, slower. They end up dying at the, of the same disease as everybody else does, but 30 years later, and usually quicker and without languishing. And, you know, you talk about the blue zones, and we will talk about them. 
But there's a Dr. Saladino, S-A-L-A-D-I-N-O, who also studied the Blue Zones, and he dispels the idea of a plant-based diet. Saladino even dispels the idea that plant-based diets are what make Blue Zone areas where people are known to be particularly long-lived stand out. Blue Zones include Greece, Sardinia, Loma Linda in California, Okinawa, Japan, and Nicoya in Costa Rica. Where do you hear this? Crazy enough. You can't make this stuff up. These areas actually have the third highest consumption of meat per capita in the world. And they also have the longest life expectancy. He says that the most interesting area is Loma Linda, where you have a Seventh-day Adventist population that don't eat much meat. And then you have Mormons who do eat meat, and their, their death rates are the same. Because both of those groups don't smoke either. So we have to be really careful in how we interpret uh, these type of studies. So if you want to have some fun, there's a website called Spurious Correlations. Remember, if you've listened to this program, I've always told you that observation does not prove causation. So when there's a chart that leads off this, this site, and the chart is a comparing U.S. spending on science, space, and technology, guess what that correlates with? Suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. From 1999 to 2009, a perfect observation. Another observation, the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlates with films Nick, Nicholas Cage appeared in, observations. Per capita consumption correlates with the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets. And then I won't read any more except this one. Divorce rate in Maine correlates with the per capita consumption margarine. So that as the consumption margarine decreases, so the divorce rate, if you want to make that comparison. You see where I'm getting at, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, can't make, uh, you can't make observations uh, and, 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 and prove a causation. All right, so it's really important. One of the articles I've, I've read for this program is the Mediterranean diet, where it's well-balanced. And one thing that, that, that shows up also is, uh, is alcohol in moderation, a daily consumption of alcohol. So is that town in Acciaroli, Italy, which is just Naples. So a friend of mine... He uh, went to his new doctor, and after a couple visits, he had exhausted tests done. And the doctor said, you're doing fairly well for your age. So he's a little concerned about that comment, so he asked the doctor, do you think I'll live to be uh, 100? He said, the doctor said to him, uh, do you smoke tobacco? Do you drink wine? Do you drink hard liquor? He said, oh, no, I'm not doing drugs either. So his doctor, new doctor said, do we eat ribeye steaks and barbecued ribs? He said, no, no, not much. He said, of course, my former doctor said that all red meat is unhealthy. 
So then the doc asked them, do you spend a lot of time in the sun? Do you play golf? Do you go boating? Do you go sailing? Do you go hiking? Do you go bicycling? He said, no, I, I don't. Doctor asked him, do you gamble? Do you drive fast cars? Do you have a lot of sex? He said, no. He said, the doctor looked at me and said, why the heck do you want to live to be 100? So we have to have a reason one to, to live live long. Okay, so here's the quote I was looking for. So this blue zone statistic, okay, in Costa Rica, Okinawa, and so forth. Uh, they have plenty of fresh food, of course, nice, nice, nice climates. And they do eat meat. They, these people just, just don't live longer, they live healthier. They are active and lead a full life. So what do we learn from them? Well, I told you, the Mediterranean diet is the key to all of these. Consists of a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, fish, meat, and milk. And not too many sweets. Watch those chocolates. They eat beans and yams in Costa Rica, rice and fish in Okinawa, olive oil in Greece. But guess what? One of the most interesting findings of these studies in almost every single blue zone area, people enjoy moderate amounts of wine and they do so regularly. Okay, so if you want to have that glass of wine and you control it, not a problem. Blue zone people on average will reach the age of 100 at a rate 10 times greater than the average American. They live long, they prosper, and check out peacefully. Just like I said, they die like you just blow out a candle. They don't flicker. All right, so I'm just going through some studies that I, that I have here. One is about lacing up walking shoes and uh, and getting outside just for a minute a day, maybe to grab a cup of coffee with a friend or stroll along in the summer. It's a longevity booster. Okay. So... The article said that Facebook, Skype, and FaceTime may be great ways to stay in touch with friends and relatives, but guess what? No matter how amazing these new communication methods are, they don't take the place of being in the company of a real person. Again, we get back to socialization. The power of simply talking to someone, not through a screen or, or on your phone, but the way it's been done for eons and eons and eons, and they put this to the test. This was another Israeli team that did this. And when they quested data on over 3,000 seniors about how often they left their homes, they found something really exciting. Dr. Jeremy Jacobs from the Hadassah Hebrew University Medical Center in Jerusalem says that he believes the benefits that come from connecting with the outside world can give you a big boost in the longevity department. And, and isn't that what we also heard from the TED Talk? As he put it, there's something about interacting with the world outside that helps. For those ranging in age from 70 into their 90s, getting out and about practically every day of the week was closely linked to living to what was called their next milestone birthday. For those who were hitting 90, for example, going out at least six times a week meant that they were 64% more likely to make it to 95 compared to a 38% chance 
for those that don't get out very much, like once a week. This, these benefits were across the board. And it seems like you don't need an important reason or any reason to get out the door. Simply taking a walk or meeting up with a friend can bring about the same positive result. But if it's just going out with no particular destination and if that doesn't appeal to you, well, you know, what I always say, volunteer your time then. Get out. You love dogs and cats? Local animal shelters, they could always use uh, volunteers. So interaction and being socially uh, involved is really the best way. And I have multiple articles I could read to you and, and talk to you about. Eating real food. Of course you want to eat real food. You don't want to eat junk food, processed food. Junk in, junk out. Right? Just like a computer. Not good. All right. Did I talk to you? And I don't think I did. You know, we all... Chick-fil-A really has a heck of a sandwich. They, yeah, let me see if I can find that article because it's really important. By the way, the, the whole body cryotherapy that Dr. Ron does in Naples... Definitely, uh, you can have one near you. Definitely has anti-aging benefits. We'll talk about that another time. Um, let's see if I can find it. There is a, a Chick-fil-A. It just, just blew my mind when I saw this. Uh, Chick-fil-A sandwiches contain anti-foaming chemicals used as lubricants, polishes, and mold expulsion agents. Studies, the FDA now studies have shown that the body uses glutamate, an amino acid, that's MSG, as a nerve impulse transmitter in the brain and that there are glutamate-responsive tissues in other parts of the body. Abnormal function of glutamate receptors has been linked with certain neurological diseases such as Alzheimer's, Huntington's chorea, and if you inject glutamate in laboratory animals, they get nerve cell damage in the brain. And why am I telling you this? Because Chick-fil-A has these type of chemicals including high levels of MSG in their sandwiches. You're not going to believe what's in a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And I, and I think it's a great company, but as monosodium sodium glutamate, soybean oil, sodium aluminum phosphate, dimethyl polysiloxane, an antifoaming chemical, ammonium sulfate, soy lefistin, sodium benzoate, polysorbate 80, Yellow dye number five, blue dye number one, and potassium sorbate. Toxic ingredients. Potassium sorbate is a preservative used in a wide range of foods, including yogurt, cheese, wine, dips, pickles, dried meats, and soft drinks. Poisonous to the body. Polysorbate 80 is an emulsifier. Well, here you go. I mean, it's associated with weight gain and inflammation. Hello? Inflammation, as we've talked about, basis of most chronic diseases, and who's not out there and is not watching their weight? Yellow dye number five, associated with irritability, restlessness, and depression. Blue dye number one. It's probably one of the worst artificial dyes out there because it crosses the blood-brain barrier. Do you think could be the cause of why our children are so hyper and overactive? Okay. I think we talked enough about different things today. Uh, well, I want to keep my, my programs a little shorter so you have you don't get bored with me. 
so, you know, we I talked about things you're not going to read about uh, here on the mainstream media about coronavirus. Uh, I don't say you should take it lightly. I think you should be prepared. Those of you who have listened to the show, you know I believe in uh, colloidal silver, and I think you should have uh, you know, a gallon of it put away, 10 parts per million. Uh, our family's taking the teaspoon twice a day as a preventive, even though <clears throat> I don't think there's going to be a pandemic, but it can hurt you. I, I read you the, the pathology report of the blue man who died of Argyria. Internal organs were perfect. He had no inflammation, no heart arteries, no liver disease or whatever. He had a perfect autopsy, as President Trump would say. He had a perfect autopsy, except his skin was blue. But he did that for a reason. You know, he wanted to be famous, and he did get himself famous. You know, he did do that. So colloidal silver... Eating, eating good, getting a good night's sleep so your body generates itself, okay, and get all those toxins out of your brain. Drinking lots of water, uh, getting out into the air, getting, getting some sunshine, okay. Try and control your stress. The stress will de- deplete all your good hormones and really stress your, your adrenal glands. And, uh, you know, just lead a healthy lifestyle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Dr. Ron, host of Dr. Ron Unfiltered Uncensored. If you listen to us uh, on any other platforms, please give us a, a nice rating. I would appreciate it, five stars if possible. And uh, next week, we're going to talk about hydrogen water and ozone. Uh, there's some interesting ways of using ozone for your teeth and gums. And uh, we're going to talk to uh, Toby of Promo Life about that and some different things going on with ozone uh, because Dr. Warburg, a Nobel Prize winner, said you cannot have cancer if you have oxygen in the cells. And we talked about if you want to keep the cells, see how the dots are starting to connect? If you want to keep the cell membrane good, you take the parent essential oils and get rid of the toxic oils like canola oil, vegetable oils, etc. Okay, Oxygen, a, a, a permeable cell membrane, okay, takes systemic enzymes because five days after you, your body exhausts itself of enzymes, you die. Good water, hydrogen water is known to cross the cell membrane. It's number one in the periodic table, a very small molecule. And water makes up 99% of our cells. 99%. By weight, it's about 65 or so percent of our body, but it's in 99% of our cells. Okay, so that's my that's my talk for today, and I'm going to say bye. It. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, have a great day. Uh, Freddie Cooper is uh, the author of the introductory song to Doctor the Doctors in the House is working on our closing song. In the meantime, this little group from Philadelphia is going to take us home. Thank you so much, and have a great, great rest of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, with your host, Dr. Ron. We are here each and every week. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We bring you medical news that you can use. Medical news that's up to date on drug reactions and interpretation of medical articles. We also have some great guests scheduled. So thank you again. Have a great week. 
Listen to us on Apple, Alexa, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher. Ciao.